You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. We've been in a series these last uh, few weeks asking, you know, life's big questions. And so last week, we talked about the question, is there a God or how can I know that God exists? Do you realize that one of the greatest struggles that people have sometimes in believing the existence of God or putting their trust in God is because they deal with the question that we're dealing with today? And that is, if there is a God, then why does He allow pain and suffering? So so if there's a God, why does He allow people to suffer? So Barna's group did did a poll in the United States of America and, and they asked people, so if you could ask God one question and you knew He would give you the answer for it, what question would you ask God? So I don't know what that would be for you, but the number one question that came up in the poll was, if I could ask God one question and I knew that God would answer me, I would ask Him, why do you allow pain and suffering? Why does pain and suffering exist? So let me talk to you a minute about the origin of the question, okay? Where did we get the question in the first place? So to do that, let me, let me ask you a question, and that is, do you believe that God is good? So maybe we'll make this an audience participation part of the service, okay? So do you believe God is good? Yes, yes all the time. I believe that you believe that God is good. I believe that God is good. Let me ask you a second question. Do you believe that God is all-powerful? Yes. So that's where we get the question. If, if God is good and He is love and He is compassionate and He cares and He has all power that He can do anything He chooses, then why, somebody please tell me, does God not just eliminate pain and suffering? So if God is good and He is caring and He is compassionate and if God is love and He has all power then why doesn't He just get pain and suffering wiped from the face of the earth? Some people, in regard to that conversation, have concluded either God is not good or He is not all-powerful. Because if He were good and if He were all-powerful, then He would eliminate pain and suffering. And so I have a question for you. And this is not a question for the person in front of you. It's not a question for the person behind you. Okay, this is for you. I want you to answer me out loud. I want you to deal with this, okay? In your mind and your understanding, can a good and powerful God and human suffering coexist? In your mind, can a good and powerful God and human suffering coexist? Coexist. Can you reconcile those two in your mind? The Bible is awesome. It's awesome. It helps us deal with life's biggest questions, even this one. And so, would you open your Bible with me this morning to the book of Job? The book of Job. So you may say, uh, I'd pick that Bible up, but I'm kind of new to that, and I, I would fumble for a while to get to that book. So if you just let it fall open to the very middle, you're probably going to be in Psalms. And Job is right before the book of Psalms. Okay, so Job chapter 1. As many of you will, grab a Bible, open it. You might leave it in your lap open for a few minutes as we kind of work through 
this first and second chapter of Job. Okay, Job chapter 1. I'm going to start reading with verse 6. So it's a very interesting story. You won't have trouble staying uh, alert during the reading of the Scripture this morning. And you probably will have lots of questions popping into your mind as we read this. Okay? So here we go. Words are on the screen. So one day the angels came to present themselves to God. And Satan also came with them. So the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now you've got to listen to what God says about Job, okay? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless. He is upright. He is a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now this is what God says about him, okay? There is no one else like him on earth. He is blameless and upright. He is a man who fears God and he shuns evil. This guy is innocent. And so Satan replies, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him, God? And his household and everything he has... You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. I mean, look at his life. It's awesome. But now, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And so the Lord says to Satan, and this is where we struggle, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now listen to how this story unfolds. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were fat, feasting rather, and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. And they put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came, and he said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house when suddenly this mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them. And Job, they are all dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground, and he worshipped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now listen, on another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered again, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. 
The Lord then said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. He is a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still, he still remains, he still rather maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replies. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. And so the Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands but you must spare his life. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Listen. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. And his wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept the good from God and not trouble? And in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. So this is God's word for us today. So, so when I think about suffering and when I think about pain, um, from a global perspective, I don't even know where to start. In these last few months, we have been confronted in the news almost every day about Christians who have been persecuted because of their faith. And I don't know how many Christians have lost their lives in the last few months because they will not denounce their faith in Jesus. We've got this, we got this disgusting, deplorable thing that's happening where terrorists are cutting the heads off of journalists and yesterday an aid worker. Okay, here's a guy who goes to another country, an American. Maybe he was British, come to think, to try to help people who are hurting. And they cut his head off and they videotape it and they send it back so they can incite fear on people. I mean, if you want to talk about pain and suffering, we, we remembered last week 9-11. And Annette and I sat in our living room the other night and we watched one of those documentaries recounting what happened on 9-11. And those same... Feelings came up inside of me that I experienced in 2001. I don't know where this Ebola virus is going. People are dying because of it. But when I narrow it down and begin to think about this community of faith, this body of believers, this local church, you understand in the last couple of months we have... We've had to bury a couple of kids. We've had five men die, and I would say they died way before they were old enough to die. I'm not looking into the eyes of people this morning who say, yeah, that pain and suffering is, is, a, bad, is a bad story, but I really can't relate. I'm looking into the eyes of people this morning who say, Pastor Rick, I get it. I understand about pain and suffering because I'm living in pain and suffering. 
There's a guy who sits right here every Sunday in second service. His name is Michael, and he's looking at me right now. And, and over four years ago, Michael survived cancer, and then he survived a stroke. But for four years, he lives every day of his life in the pain and suffering of what has happened to him. And his family walks this road with him. We love you, Michael, but we understand that like very few of us, you understand pain and suffering. And there are people among me right now who are looking at me, who are living as silent sufferers of verbal abuse or physical abuse or sexual abuse. There are people who are fighting depression. I'm talking about within our community of faith. Divorce has torn your family apart. People are suffering from chronic illness. People are living in the pain of infertility, miscarriages. People are caring for aging parents and special need children. And those of us who have not walked that road, we don't know what your life is like. And the list just goes on and on. And so I stand up here. On Sunday morning, and I say to you, I'm going to talk about pain and suffering. And and as your pastor, I'm looking into your eyes realizing that you get it. You know what it's like to suffer. And, And I believe that as we open God's Word this morning, that God has some things to say. And I believe it can be a help to us on this journey. So, let me, let me just say the first thing, okay? I think that we, we have to avoid, at all costs, you have to avoid kind of these pat, quick, fix, easy answers to pain and suffering. They do not exist. So one day, a seven-year-old boy was killed in a church that I was pastoring. And I'm at the funeral home, and I'm standing beside his father. And this lady walks up, okay? I don't know her. She takes him by the hand and she pats his hand with her other hand. And she looks up into his eyes and she says, God just needed him in heaven more than you needed him here. And she pats him again and she walks away. And I say to him, that is not true. I don't know her and she may be a good person, but there is no truth to what she just said. There's no scriptural support for that. And frankly, I don't know that I want anything to do with a God that just picks off kids and says, I need them in heaven worse than you need them, so deal with it. There's no quick answers to this stuff. And it's what Job learns. But it's what his friends offer, and it's all they have to offer. So Job is living what I would call a pretty comfortable life. He has his health. Let me tell you, health makes life pretty comfortable. People who don't have their health would say, if you've got your health, you've got something going for you. He had wealth. Sometimes wealth can make life pretty comfortable. He had family. I think that one could go either way. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) A guy sent me a picture of a plaque one day and it said... Friends are God's way of making up for family. That's good. So he's got a comfortable life. And so Satan says, 
<laughs> of course. Of course Job serves you. Of course jo- Job loves you. Of course he worships you. You've got Job living on easy street. Who wouldn't love you? I mean, his life is good. You start taking this stuff away, he'll curse you to your face. I'll show you what Job really thinks of you. He's not serving you because he loves you. He's serving you because you're giving him all the stuff. And so it all goes away. His health and his wealth and his family, it all disappears. Okay, here's, here's what's happening. We, we're struggling. And the reason we're struggling is because here's what's going on. We're realizing even though God does not initiate suffering, right? We don't believe that. Even though God does not directly create pain in someone's life. We know that, right? But it, it seems to me in this story that He allows it to happen. Thus we have the question, why does God allow it? Why does God allow pain and suffering in a person's life? And what complicates it even more is that I read you these words two times, okay? The words that said Job was a good man, he was just, he was blameless, he was upright, and he shunned evil and he feared God. And so it complicates it all because we say not only why does God allow pain and suffering, but why does God allow innocent people to suffer? And so his friends say, we've got an answer to that, Job. I mean, look at you, man. You're a mess. What in the world did you do to tick God off so bad? I mean, you need to confess up. Obviously, Job, you did something really bad or all of this would have happened. I mean, look at you, Job. You are a person who has lost your kids. You've lost all of your wealth. And you're sitting there with a piece of broken pottery. And you're scraping the, the junk off of your arm and your legs. You're sitting in a pile of ashes. Just, just say it, man. Why are you holding back? What did you do? And, and as you read throughout the book of Job, here's what you have him saying. Really, guys, I, I don't know of anything. Come on, Job. No, guys, really, I, I, I don't know of anything. I, I didn't do it. Job, listen, why are you playing this game? Just say it. And what it really is, in its essence, it's moralism. It's this cause and effect law idea that if I, if I do good, and I put out good, and I love God, and I pay my tithe, and I go to church, and I treat people right, and all of that, then, then nothing bad will come into my life. It's moralism. On the other end of that spectrum, a secular person would say, oh, stuff happens. Amen. Stuff happens. Mechanical error, human error, a plane crashes to the ground, and when it does, we got this great thing called gravity. But man, it can work against you because 300 people are going to die when that happens. It just it happens. Stuff just happens. And neither response is true. Let me, let me just say this. I think it's really important. Sin has consequences. So, so some of you looking at me are going to say, Hey Rick, I have suffered the consequences of sin. Okay? 
I have sinned, and man, did I ever pay a price for that. I mean, I suffered because of my sin. So listen to me really close, okay? Sin has consequences, but not all suffering is a result of personal sin. Sin has consequences, but not all suffering is a result of personal sin. And so you say, well, then tell me something now. Why? why? Tell me, why, why do we suffer? Why do we have pain and suffering? So, so as I stand here before you this morning, all right, I'm, I'm just going to say something, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to pinch just a little bit. It's going to hurt a bit. But as I stand here before you, there is nothing that I know that is more certain than the fact that you are going to suffer in your future. There is nothing that is more certain than the fact that you're going to suffer. There's going to be some pain in your life. And when suffering comes, the most natural thing that we do is we ask, why? Why is there pain and suffering? And here's the biblical response to the question, okay? You and I live in a fallen world. In the Garden of Eden initially, there was no pain, there was no suffering, nothing like that. What we are living in now is not what God designed, it is not what God intended. But sin enters the world and everything changes. Death becomes a part of human existence with all of its preliminaries, including pain and suffering. And this is what we're left with. Suffering exists because sin exists. And so whatever you do, whatever you do, just just refuse some... Some pat, easy, quick answer in regard to suffering. And understand its origin. It's in our world because we live in a fallen world. Now the second thing that I think is really important that we learn from the book of Job is this. You may very well suffer in your life. And you may one day die, never knowing the purpose for your suffering. Can you do that? Can you accept that? Can you live with that? Can you say, it may be that I will never fully understand why I have suffered. So here you got, here you got Job, okay? And Job dies, as far as we know, because there's nothing in the book of Job where God lets him out and says, Job, this is why, okay? These were the advantages. This was the good that came out of it. In fact, one day Job really gets right with God. And it's in about, what, the fourth to the last chapter of the book. And he goes, hey, you know what I'm willing to do? I'm willing to sign my defense. I did nothing to deserve this. I want the Almighty to speak. I want some answers. I want to know what's going on. Talk to me, God. And do you know what God says to Job? I am God. And Job, you are not God. (laughs) That's the answer? That's all he said? And somehow, somehow, Job was okay with that. 
And I think more so, Job was okay with God. Naked I came from my mother's womb, he says, and naked I will depart. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Did you notice that he did not say, I worked hard for that stuff. I earned that stuff. That stuff was mine. No. He says, the Lord gave. And sometimes the Lord takes away. And so I'm going to give praise to the name of the Lord. If your life, if your life is about possessions, if that's what your life is about, when pain and suffering comes, what do you turn to? But if your life is about God, and pain and suffering comes, you turn to one who will walk with you and comfort you. Th- think with me, okay? Just think a minute, okay? Here we are. Thousands of years later, we come to Bethany First Church on a Sunday morning, and we've posted the sermons for the next seven weeks back few weeks ago, and you know that today we're going to be talking about pain and suffering, right? And so here's what happens. We come in the room and we sit down to talk about pain and suffering, and what do I ask you to do? I ask you to open an ancient book, because I can't find any better example of a person who goes through suffering with grace and trust than I can find in Job besides Jesus Christ Himself. But yet He dies and He never knows. He never knows that so many people will come to such an understanding. So, a few years ago, less than ten years ago, I went through what I would call the darkest time of my life. There there were two things going on in my life. And for the life of me, in all the faith that I tried to have, in all the praying I did, I could not see how God was going to work this out, okay? I just couldn't see an answer. God, I don't know how in the world you're ever going to change this situation, these two situations. I don't know how in the world you're ever going to make anything better. I don't see it ever getting better. I was consumed. I, I would go to a restaurant with someone in the church, and, and I, was, I was trying my best to listen. Did not sometimes know what they were talking about. I was so consumed with what was going on in my life. And I would get up on Sunday morning and preach feeling like a hypocrite. Because I'm a pastor telling people that you shouldn't worry, but I'm being tempted to worry every day, and I'm giving in. I'm trying to stand up and preach on Sunday morning, but I'm broken. And if you would have said to me, wait, wait, Rick, time out, wait, right here, buddy, okay? Okay, because I know that you're hurting, and I know that you're suffering, and I know that you're really struggling here, but listen, there's an end date to this, okay? There is a miracle date. There is a day when you're not going to be suffering anymore, right? So you're going through it now, but you're going to come up to this time, and it ends. And let me tell you something, Rick. You've got to listen really close, okay? Because when you go through this, 
after you've gone through it, God is going to change your heart and you're going to be a better pastor than you ever could have been because when people are going through something like you've gone through, you're going to be able to empathize with them like you've never empathized with anybody. And you're going to look into the eyes of people as a pastor and you're going to hurt with them and you're going to pray for them and you're going to lift them up to the Father like you never would have if you hadn't have gone through this. So not only is there an end date, but let me tell you something, Rick. Here's what God's going to do through it. I think I could have held on. But you're looking at me this morning saying, we don't have either of those things. We don't have an end date. And we have no idea what the benefit is going to be, if there's going to be any. Annette called me one day years ago. Morgan was four or five years old and she said... It was a rainy day. Morgan and I were running from a car to a restaurant and she slipped and she hit her lip on the door and it's cut pretty bad. I know they're going to have to stitch it up. Meet me at the clinic. So there was a clinic that we had gone to a couple of times and I knew where she was talking about and I ran over there and within minutes I found myself in this very sterile room. And Annette and I and four medical personnel were standing over Morgan, laying on a table. And our job was to hold her down while they stitched up her lip. I, re- I remember seeing the doctor move this needle toward her lip. And the next thing I remember is hearing the doctor say, get him out of here And then I just remember being drugged backwards with my heels dragging along the floor into this other room. I've always been there for my kids, man. You can count on me. You say, wait, 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 wait. Rewind, rewind, rewind. Back up, back up, back up. You you were a party that you were going to hold your kid down? You're going to watch six strong adults hold her to this table while they took this needle... And sewed up her lip. You know how bad that hurts? Wait, you were going along with it? I knew the benefit was far greater than the pain. And I think maybe it's what Paul was talking about when he said, I suppose... That our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that will one day be revealed in us. I got a feeling somebody's going, time out, time out, time out. out." I, I don't really want to talk about the benefits of suffering here. I want suffering to go away. I want God to do away with it. I don't want to talk about how I grow through it. I don't want anymore. Is it possible to talk about suffering without talking about what God does in us when we do? Here's, here's a third thing. Avoid the pat answer, okay? And, and can you embrace, can you move forward saying, you know what? I may not know the reasons for my suffering in this life. Here's the, here's the last thing, okay? And it's this. 
Look to the future. Consider God's restoration. So Job, the last chapter of the book, is about him being restored. I think the Bible you can break down into four sections real quick. Here we go. First section, Genesis 1 and 2, the story of the creation. Beautiful language about how God creates the world. Section number 2, Genesis chapter 3. It's this picture of the fall. Sin enters the world. Now pain and suffering are a part of human existence. Chapter 4 following is about God trying to redeem creation. God fixing what, hap- God fixing what happened in chapter 3 of Genesis. And then in the very last couple of pages of the book, what we do, we get a, a glimpse Listen to this, okay? We get this glimpse. I love this. One day, restoration is complete. And here's what the Bible says. There is no dying, and there is no mourning, and there is no crying. Are you ready for this? I love this. I relish this last word. And there is no more pain. No pain. Nobody suffers anymore. And so what the Bible does is it gives us a linear view of suffering, not a cyclical view. What does that mean? It means the Bible says one time there was no suffering and there was a time when suffering started, but there is a time when suffering will be no more. So if somebody says to you, here's what I know for sure, people have always suffered and they will always suffer. That is a lie. Suffering began, but one day suffering will be no more. So there's a guy named John Bailey who, or Joe Bailey, who wrote a book called A View from the Hearse. He lost three kids. When he lost one of his sons, he said, two men came to comfort me. The first guy who came to comfort me, he gave me lots of answers. Joe, here's why this happened. Here's what God's going to do. Here's what's going to happen next. God's going to give you strength for this. And God's going to do this. And this is why we go through times like this. He said the second man barely spoke unless he was spoken to. He cried with me. Mostly he sat with me. And Joe Bailey says, I could not wait for the first man to leave. And I could not bear to see the second man go. And then he says, when it comes to pain and suffering, I think the Bible is more like the second man who comes in his presence. But the Bible leaves a lot of our questions about pain and suffering unanswered. But what the Bible does tell us is that God suffers with us. And the story of the Bible is the story of a God who is repairing a broken, hurting, suffering world. And we see it no more clearly than we see it in the life of Jesus who comes into our world and He walks among us and when He sees people suffering, do you know what He does? He cries. The Bible says Jesus weeps and He is moved with compassion. When he sees people hurting, he is moved with compassion. And then he gets on a cross and he does something about it. 
I love my I love my girls. Morgan Morgan is here today, and and man, there's times when I want, I just want to take over her life for her, you know, and I just want to say, Morgan, 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 hey, 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 listen, I've I've lived, I got experience. I don't want you to mess up. I'm going to choose your career for you, okay? I got a lot of great ideas, and Morgan. Marrying somebody, that is huge. You don't have any idea how big this is. And I cannot leave this to you to mess up. I'm going to pick your husband for you. <laughs> you, know what, you know what? You're going to come running to me. You're going to say, what are you talking about? You don't love that girl. If you love that girl, you would let her choose. This is the last thing I'm saying to you this morning, but you've got to hear this really clearly, Okay. The only world that I know where there is no pain and no suffering is a world where there is no choices. The only world that exists where there is no pain and there is no suffering is a world where nobody, nobody, nobody gets to choose. But God loves you so much that He lets you choose. And so Tim Keller says, when I look at the cross and I ask the question, why is there pain and suffering? I don't find an answer for that question when I look at the cross. But I do find what the answer is not. And the answer is not, it's because He doesn't love us. Because when I look at the cross, all I see is His love for us. So I challenge you, as you work through the pain and the suffering in your life, look at this example of Job. Avoid those easy, quick, pat, fix-it kind of answers that will only make you angry with God. And embrace the fact that there's going to be some questions you will never have answers to in this life. And live in that saying, I can trust God. And look forward to a day when suffering is no more forever. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Will you do that? Is that right, Kyle? Should I ask him to stand? We're going to sing, and uh altar is always open for you. It, it may be one of those days where you say, Rick, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. Man, I'm struggling. God can handle your honesty and you can come here today and you can talk to God and He will hear you. Maybe that you want to pray for somebody that you love that's suffering. I mean, that would be completely appropriate to do. Uh, there'll be pastors here to pray with you if you want to get their attention. Uh, we believe that the Bible teaches to anoint people who are sick. And so if you want to be anointed, we can pray for your healing. So if you want to come and pray today, I just want you to fill this warmth, this openness, this welcomeness. This is a good place to pray. There'll be pastors here to pray with you. So let's sing. Let's pray. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted let rescue begin. Come find the mercy 
free to pray or feel free to sing or feel free to go. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.